a lot more before we're done with, I hope, by God's grace. God, I pray you bless everything I have to say today and, uh, and even say some things that I'm not saying they're good. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> I guess God could do that. He's big enough, right? So uh, hopefully everybody should have an outline. It should, it should say, worship the beauty and power of expressing affection and honor uh, to the Lord. And um, as you could tell, maybe from just our service here, even probably most casual observers say we, we take a little while to worship and we really do emphasize this. It's just an extension of uh, not just singing songs, but also a lifestyle, right? Our whole lifestyle is one uh, born out of worship. We were made as Christians for worshiping. Our, our lifestyle changes. We turn our life around and we begin to honor the Lord and worship. Whoever you worship controls what you do and how you act and how you speak to one another, how you're married and all the rest. And so sometimes it's really good just to talk about that subject, period. It's not just that we sing, it's that we put God first in our life, right? And so there's a beauty to that. And even when we express this affection and honor to the Lord like we do, there's a great, great power in it. Um, we've often seen when we do that how it opens the things of the Spirit in small meetings and in big uh, meetings to actually cause supernatural work to happen. And uh, it's actually a, a mystery in a way, but, uh, but certainly in the scriptures very, very clearly, which we're going to examine a little bit. So uh, if you look at your outline, the very first point says, in conversation with a Samaritan woman, Jesus revealed that what true worship of God was going to look like for the next 2,000 years. Isn't it amazing? 2,000 years, that's how long it's been. And, uh, but this steady drumbeat of honoring and worship of God has been in the church since the very, very beginning. So if we look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we find Jesus in this conversation with the woman at the well. But I tell you, how many saw the chosen? Anybody see the chosen in this thing where he meets the woman at the well? Oh, my God. Wow. you got to see that. It's so powerful. So powerful. I think it's at the end of season one. And uh, it's just so, so amazing, so real, and brings out all the issues that were there. This woman was coming at an odd time of the day, in the middle of the day, when most people didn't come for water because she was very, very sinful. Jesus happened to send his disciples on purpose away, and he's sitting there waiting for her and gets uh, some words, what we call words of knowledge and information you can only know supernaturally about her husbands, which blows her away. And so she discerns he's a prophet. He could pick up in 1 John 4:19. Sir, the woman said, I, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped up on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So there's some kind of problem between the two, the Samaritans and the Jews. And so it goes way, way back to the rift between Israel and, and uh, Judah. And uh, so they had each selected their own places of worship, Jerusalem, of course, and then they had selected their own. So she's getting that she knows she's in touch with something supernatural, God. So she's got a question in her mind. Well, I know this is for real. You could not know this information except by God. But like, okay, so where am I supposed to worship now? Woman replied, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship, but you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers this Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, 
and he, which uh, is a little bit shocking, right? So she, she believes that and goes back in the town, tells everybody, and much to the, sh the disciples' shock and horror, by the way, they don't want anything to do with the Samaritans, <laughs> Jesus finds himself in Samaria preparing the way for the church that would eventually begin to uh, erupt in Samaria. Jesus prepared the way for that. He was already after all the peoples of the earth, included the hated Samaritans to the ends of the earth, right? And uh, I want to look at uh, John 14, uh, verses 6 to 7 as well, which is wonderful, one of the most wonderful things that Jesus said and was actually revealing to her that day, even though she didn't know the full ramifications of it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the core of all worship. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so interestingly enough, with regard to this whole principle of the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus was after kids. So he wasn't just him manifesting, but he was after the whole world. He was after people, men and women, both Gentile and Jew, much to the Jews' chagrin, coming to God, knowing God, and knowing his love and being reconnected, right? So interestingly enough, as the church began to evolve, the teaching began to evolve, and we began to realize that as we see in this story, the church isn't in a building, it isn't in a specific location, is it in Israel or this place or that place? It manifests in these various places. But actually, where the temple is, is where people are, where two or three gather together in his name. That's the church, right? So we, as the people of God, are the temple of God, in which the Spirit lives corporately and individually, meaning that when you get saved, the Spirit of God lives inside of you, right? And corporately, when we come together, the church is the place where the Spirit lives. So he lives in us together, and he lives in us individually. Uh, there's, so there's two. We see that in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, and also in 1 uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, uh, which are also two really, uh, it's also a very, very important verse, especially as we're going to begin to move on and, and uh, talk about this expressing affection and honor to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So not only together are we the temple of the Holy Spirit where the presence of the Lord lives, but individually, which is really a huge statement. God's living in you. That's, as a Christian, what you believe. God lives in you. Yeah, that's good, huh? Got one person that believes. All right, very good. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, the Holy Spirit in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So we see two dimensions of the presence of God in the corporate gathering when we gather together and individually inside of us the Spirit resides, which is so different than the building that was the example where the literal presence of God was on the altar there you know, right in the temple, where in the Holy of Holies, where God's temple resided and was a very holy place, right? It was only foreshadowing what was be, to become the reality in Christ, that now the corporate body, where even two or three gather together, God is there in a unique way, in a special way, that is not where two or three do not gather. That in itself should be motivation to come to church. He's inside of you, yes, 
But when people purposely gather to worship and honor the Lord, He comes. His tangible presence comes. So, like some of you maybe were new to us, doesn't it make sense that if we actually believe that, that we would take time to do what Jesus did? Doesn't it make sense? If He just believes He's theoretically here, okay, fine. But if He's really here, then you know what? If Jesus was walking down the aisle and I saw Him, you know, I'd grab Him and touch Him and ask, hey, could you pray for me? <laughs> Please, heal this, heal that, you know. How many have a few ailments? Anybody have any ailment today you'd like him to heal, right? I mean, all over the room. You know, he got something, right? So I think he would have no problem with customers. Isn't it funny how people have a hard time then dragging themselves to church? Okay, God, I'm going to do you a favor by coming, you know. Besides, if I don't come, I'm afraid you're going to whack me, so I'm here, you know. Oh, my gosh. That whack model of coming to church, what a dumb thing. What a dumb reason. The living God's here, touching us, healing us, delivering us. And when we pray for people, we don't just pray for them like, wow, that's our custom. That's what you're supposed to do. We pray expecting them to be healed. We pray expecting them to get a word, word of prophecy, some knowledge, some information. We expect the gifts of the Spirit enunciated in the passage of Scripture to be real, to be manifest. Whether it's a kind word, a cup of water, whether it's Whatever it is, healing, whatever you need, a, a, a kind a word of encouragement, exhortation. So that's all here, isn't it, right? So Jesus is the way and the truth and the life for anyone who wants to know God. That's what he said about him, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. And when we come through him, we come into this new place of sons and daughters and what we call church. And in that, we express honor and affection for Jesus with our words, our songs, and our deeds. That's how we worship God. That's C on your outline. So Romans 12, verses uh, 1 to 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So... We come as living sacrifices. In the Old Testament temple, they were sacrifices that were offered for sin. Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins now. But in a sense, we come and offer our bodies as sacrifice. Here we are, Lord. Do what you want with us. Fill us with your presence. This is true and proper worship. So we come and present ourselves before the Lord just as surely as they brought that sacrifice to the Lord. But the good thing about it is we don't need animals to be clean. Jesus already cleaned us, right? So we really do become, so the sacrifice has been done by Jesus, but, but you know, when we say getting saved or knowing Jesus, it's just saying at a point in your life, I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. At that point in time, Jesus takes away your sin. You did it by faith, and guess what? You're clear and clean. And if you sin again and make a mistake, I suppose there's one or two of us that make mistakes every day, but uh, just to, right? We... Whenever, and you become more and more aware of that. The more aware of the presence of God, you can actually, in your temple, say, God, I'm sorry, I did it. I did it, right? And there's a side a sacrifice that's extremely important, too. We, we, we live our life for Jesus, and we are, we are, the sacrifice for us has been done through the blood of Jesus, but then we become living sacrifice. In other words, we express Jesus' life in the community and wherever we are, Right? 
So there's unusual fruit every time two or three believers gather together and pray in Jesus' name, being the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God. So when we pray and we gather, the Bible makes special provision and just helps us to know how incredibly powerful we are. And this is just such a battle line for people um, uh, because it's such a powerful principle. The enemy challenges mostly by trying to get us to ignore this, this little principle. It's amazing how people don't take up their rights, their true authority uh, in the kingdom. Um, and, and one of your greatest rights and the ability to do is to pray, right? Especially for one another. But listen to this. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So binding in heaven, that means that actual principalities and authorities and demonic rulers are bound by the words that we say. And I think of Frodo so much. I feel like Frodo all the time, you know? Just so small, but just that little act that we do with that gentleman or for each other or in our own families or household. All we need is two or three. I'll get to that in a minute. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We can't say it enough. And we should not just say it, but we should do it. We should get to the place where we can't do it enough. Because if this reality is true, well, uh, is there a few things that need to be bound on the earth? <laughs> I can think of one or two, right? Uh, what needs to be loosed on the earth? What needs to be loosed on the earth, right? Again, truly, I tell you, no com political com comments, please. I'm just that. <laughs> man, I tell you what. Now, don't get me going on that one, man. I, I just saw a really bad news broadcast the other day, and I was binding and loosing the whole time I was watching that thing. <laughs> yeah. Verse 19, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So that puts things in a different slant as to our current problems. So there's lots of barking going along out there from the church. I wonder if there's a lot of praying going out there from the church, right? This is a huge solution. Again, Truly, I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for, by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So the source of our problems ultimately is a demonic realm that still exists, a second heaven realm of demons and demonic figures. They're still trying to rule the earth, right? How many of you saw the Jonathan Kahn stuff, uh, The Return of the Gods, that book that he just wrote? You've not seen that yet? Oh, my gosh. Get that book. Read anything that he wrote. I promise you, it'll be well worth your reading. God's raised this man up. He's a unique person. He's a, a Jewish rabbi that's been raised up, and he wrote The Harbinger. Many of you read that, but he just wrote this book, Turn of the Gods. And his thesis is that we're seeing much more demonic activity because of what we've been giving away, uh, right? So we're seeing more demonic activity since the first century, now, and this time, this realm, right? So it's really important as the church that we remember, okay, yes, and that's true. We can see it all over the earth. Bigger problems, the most amazing things that we've seen. But they shouldn't intimidate us. They should challenge us to be who we are because we bind and loose. The binders and the loosers are right here in this room. That's why the enemy wants to shut the church up, keep it closed down. Don't want two or three coming together. Let's send this COVID thing so they don't pray together anymore. Can't have that, right? 
I'm not saying you can't do it on the phone. I'm not saying you can't do it by video. But I'm just saying there's something critical to our calling that we gather together. The Holy Spirit comes. We are that temple. And then we bind and loose things in the earth. It's, it's, it's uh, amazing. It's a part of our worship. It's a part of worship. If you, if you think about even the first part of the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, right? Part of that Lord's Prayer is hallowed be your name. So worship and prayer go together. They're hand in hand. It's almost, we enter his gates with thanksgiving, right? His courts with praise, or the other way around, enter his gates with, I can't remember which way it goes, but anyway, we do that into the church, right? That's, that's, that's what we do here. So when we're worshiping and thanking God, we're entering into the supernatural presence of the Lord. So church is one of the coolest places you can be, right? Uh, because of this activity that we get to do over each other and over our country. If you look at there, number two under 1C2 there, it says, worship brings back love back to us from the Father. And that love sometimes brings unique revelation of what the Father is thinking and doing. Now, I want to just pause for a moment on this. Uh, and I'm going to bring out one passage. I just want to talk for a moment on this because it's really, really uh, something that I'm just becoming more and more aware of uh, uh, every year. So in John 5, 19 and 20, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Right? So notice that word, for the Father loves the Son. In other words, he could feel the tangible love of God, and from that love, he could hear his voice. Now, this is so incredibly true today. When you feel the love of God, you can also hear His voice. When you feel the compassion of God, it's like you know what to do. So this compassion part is linked so much to everything that we do. But worship often brings compassion. What I mean by that is worship often brings an awareness of the love of God. So it kind of goes like that. So we worship the Lord, right? But as we worship the Lord, the Father begins to love on us, right? So I, I you know, sometimes I come in here like I'm, I'm just like, I don't know if it's a bad testimony, but I just sort of drag in, right? Crawl in some days. Because sometimes when I'm like preparing the message and everything, the enemy doesn't like it. It just beats me up and, you know, and I'm crawling in, you know. And then when the worship begins, you go, oh, I'm good, I'm good, All right? And so uh, maybe probably none of you have that experience, but anyway. <laughs> but, you know, you can even use your favorite CD like that and worship along with it. There's just a mystery to worship. And, uh, and so in that space, I often feel love. I also have begun to feel compassion uh, when I see the weak now. Uh, now more than ever. Uh, once you begin to do it a little bit, um, you know, and kind of get over the shock of the very, very weak, and you begin to talk to them and work with them a little bit, your compassion grows and grows. Because you realize these are real-life human beings who have had a series of horrible things happen to them. And sometimes not their own fault. Many times not their own fault. And, um, and it touches you. And I think that for the average person, maybe in Laguna Niguel, with regard to homeless people or people that are homeless, it's a little intimidating to actually 
go up and shake their hand or spend some time with them. But um, over the years with the warehouse and all the things we've been doing, I actually have been doing just that. I make it my mission sort of to actually go and speak to them. Sometimes homeless people, one of the biggest issues they have is nobody wants to talk to them. Can you imagine everybody not communicating to you? You're just all alone all the time. We have some homeless people here who are recovering from that. It's a horrible situation. The isolation is that you don't feel the love of God. You feel all alone in the world. It's a horrible feeling, you know. Thank God I haven't had to feel a lot of that myself, but I know that from talking and, and actually having mental illness so close to my home, I, I realize the isolation, and I realize that the antidote is just love from other people. It really goes a long way, you know. We always go way further down the line, you know. They need this, this, and this, and this. But could I just say something to you? Love goes a long way, and I'll tell you why. For the Father, it says here, loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So when uh, so we have a key to Jesus' ministry. The Father loved the Son, and it was the key to revelation. When he felt that love, then he was shown the greater works. And it's the same with us. When we feel compassion for someone... You don't even know how to know specifically what to do. Matter of fact, I find that the people with the most compassion just jump in there <laughs> when they see a need. They don't know anything. They might not know anything about anything, right? In our expert society with regard to homelessness or other serious things, you know, with people that have disease or sickness or whatever, we just think that we have to be experts. You know, we have to know everything. You don't have to know everything. God gives it to you as you go. You just have to be compassionate. When the compassion comes, you don't care anymore, right? You just minister to that person. You, whatever you do, you do anything. And you know what? A person that's in a difficult space, when they feel that love, however it's coming, however rough or, or funny, you know, maybe like a sloppy wet kiss. We sing that song all the time. You know, it's like maybe it's not like very neat, you know, or appropriate. But, but everybody knows what love and affection, genuine love and affection is, right? So the Father loves the Son. Because of the love he felt, he could see. Revelation is connected, as we talk so much, and you'll see that in my class that I teach, right? And so what I'm really realizing is that, okay, so when we worship, we also feel love. You see what I'm saying? When we worship, we feel this amazing love. Worship brings love back to us from the Father. And that sometimes brings unique revelation for what the Father is thinking and doing, even in a service. That's why at the end of worship, often I'll have words of knowledge and point out things and things I think that the Father is doing, right? So worship brings us back to love, and that love brings unique revelation. So it follows that when I feel compassion, even when I'm walking down the road or when I'm anywhere, when compassion comes on me, that's my signal that I'm on, right? And I'm learning to walk more and more of this uh, in the, in the, uh, um, on the streets, with perfect strangers. Because when I feel that compassion, I know. And, I, and the more I let that work in my life, the more I feel it. And the more I feel it, the more revelation and insight I get. And it's like I know, before when I would meet people like that on the street a lot, I just really didn't know what to say or do. You know? Now, I've learned that love just teaches me what to say or do. I don't have to be perfect. I don't say this, have to say the perfect thing. I just have to be willing to, in that space, love that person, right? So the key thing is, with regard to this worshiping church that we're talking about here, 
this unique church, when love comes in the worship, man, I tell you what, that's the greatest time to begin, right? To minister. So when you feel love, that's your time where you could pray for someone or do something. So expanding that in our life is, I think, a really critical thing. And so I'm, I'm learning to use worship as a way to help me see and to hear God's voice. And I'm also learning uh, to take it out beyond the boundaries in this temple and stay in that place of worship and compassion so that when I feel that tug on my heart, I know I'm on. If you don't cultivate compassion, it's hard to know that you're on. Am I supposed to give food to that person? Am I supposed to pray for that person? Am I supposed to talk to that person? Am I supposed to jump into that marriage that's not doing so well, right? Compassion is my guide. If you cultivate compassion, then you get better and better at it. I want to just give a... a, uh, So when we're talking here, it's, it's so powerful as the temple of the Holy Spirit... Worship brings back love to us from the Father, and that love brings unique revelation of what the Father is thinking and doing, right? And so what better place to get revelation than to stay in worship, right? To stay in worship, because that's where we feel love. Now, I've like said that three times. But let me give you a really practical example, and I was actually there. Um, this was a time uh, when we had, remember that, uh, the call that was on there, it's like 65,000 people up in Pasadena. How many went to the call or 65,000? Yeah, it was a handful of us. We were there. I was there, there, uh, physically there. It was quite a, quite a gathering. And uh, I think uh, hundreds of thousands of other people eventually saw that on video as well. And so we've had a man named Sean Bowles here. And, uh, when he was here, um, he got some incredible revelation when he was here. He's a very powerful prophetic voice. And I think, how many have ever heard of Sean Bowles? Have you ever heard of him? Okay, so he was here. It's more than unusual uh, re- bit of revelation walking around in his life, right? So I wanted to bring him up because uh, uh, he wrote something in this book. It's called God's Secrets. Highly recommend it, by the way. Highly re- recommend it. And he was talking about what happened at that gigantic meeting uh, there in... Um, in Pasadena. And so they had called him in to be like a pr- prophetic voice and to demonstrate to 65,000 people how you can get a prophetic word for someone. Well, he was so intimidated by it, he actually didn't want to do it, right? And so an hour before the, he was supposed to take the stage, he told the le- event leadership that he didn't have any strong impression about <laughs> hearing anything from God and suggested they skip his time because he hadn't hurt heard anything that felt big enough to take a step of faith in front of such a large audience. They refused and told me that they would love for me to give it a try no matter what. <laughs> easy for them to say. <laughs> Not so easy for him to say, right? Here he is, the great prophet, right? And he's supposed to go out and he doesn't have a thing, right? And uh, so can you imagine, you know, going out in front of 65,000 people and everybody, I mean, a huge number of people knew of his prophetic anointing, and he's supposed to perform now, right? He's supposed to perform. So this book is uh, awesome, by the way. You should read it. It's God's Secrets, and um, this is a life filled with words of knowledge. So what caught my eye as I was reading through this the other day, it says, at that time, I was there. I was, uh, a number of us were there that day. It was real rainy, if I remember right, wasn't it? So then he says this. He went ahead and did it. He got out there, and... uh, He says, then I got caught up in a worship song. 
and I felt all of my self-driven performance expectations falling off of me. I focused on my primary purpose for being a part of the event, to love Jesus and to love people. Jesus' love for me felt so good in that moment that I forgot about everything else. Can I say that again? Jesus' love for me felt so good in that moment that I forgot about everything else. That's what happens when compassion comes. You kind of forget about things. They're not as important. You're not as important. If you make a mistake, it's not as important. You know? Matter of fact, I've noticed through years of ministry with people and the ones that seem to do the best um, actually have, the, in, the, in the street, seem to have this compassion and they actually don't care anymore. <laughs> Let's just put a sign on, I don't care anymore. <laughs> In a good way, right? Because the love comes, and then all you and your inhibitions and stuff sort of falls away. Jesus' love for me felt so good in that moment, for the Father loves the Son, that I forgot about everything else. That's when a few words came into my heart and mind, just a few, but they felt like they could be something. I'll describe the process later, but just know that I was as surprised as everyone else in the crowd because I didn't have anything. Here I'd prayed for months for anything, and in a simple act of loving on him and falling in love with the crowd, something happened. That's a very important point. Loving Jesus through worship and then seeing a person and having God's compassion for them, the eyes of compassion, that's all it took. That's all it takes. Then what happens is, but the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. So I've learned that when that happens to me, and you can cultivate that love, by the way, when that love happens to me, then I start looking around. I look deeper. Faith comes. I know that I'm on. I know that it's got, there's something there. And almost always there is. So I know lots of ministry people are full of confidence, but that was not me that day. I wasn't that confident when I took the platform. And he's talking about all that, you know. So when he gets this word, he says, I, I shared my first word in a question, asking the crowd about a few specific details that de describe someone's life, words of knowledge that would need to line up with someone there. Is there a Kenneth Ray and Patricia Liu who came together? Anybody hear him say that from the crowd? He said, is there a Kenneth Ray and Patricia Liu who came together? I asked people to raise and wave their hands in the air to let me know if anyone was there that matched those words. Remember, we're talking about a crowd of 65,000 people, and I'm looking for four waving arms. The crowd began to look around as well. These words were so specific that I knew either this man and woman were there or this wasn't God. That's a risk to take in front of a massive group of people. So before we get into, wow, I can't believe he took that risk, I'm going to go back. If you understand and have experienced the love of God, risk isn't that hard. What we're missing is we're missing when we move right into the revelatory room, uh, realm and try to be like someone else, it's one thing. But when compassion comes, there's a certain word, there's an equipping there, there's a boldness that comes. What you'll do for love's sake, you would never do for the sake of some spiritual gift or operating it. But when love comes... His voice also comes, right? I heard screaming and shouting throughout the crowd. People pointed toward a couple who were waving their hands. Everyone got really excited. They were a married couple, and my words were their first and middle names. So when he got these two words, Kenneth Ray and Patricia Liu, that was their first and middle names. One named Kenneth Ray and the other one named Patricia Liu. 
Then I asked about four other names, which were the names of four out of their five kids. We all went wild together knowing that this was God, especially him on the inside. I guarantee you, 10 tons fell out of him. God is healing a list of needs in your body that you incurred from the mission field, I told Patricia. And what, what I felt like was inspiration from the Holy Spirit. I told her that God was sending her family back to Oregon. They put some parentheses. Even some of their closest friends didn't know anything about the upcoming move. I shared a street that Patricia had lived on when she was young, so we got the name of a street that she had lived on. Long story short, God spoke to their family about where they were at, the direction they were headed, and how they are going to impact the world as a family. The venue turned into a living room. We were all in this together. We laughed when this couple responded together out of pure joy. We celebrated that God was healing Patricia. We were excited when the word about the move came. It was a moment in time we had so much faith that God had just blown in like a wind and did something only he could do. After several more words, I prayed for the crowd to eagerly desire to prophesy. <laughs> and he didn't feel like prophesying at all. But when did he feel like prophesying? When he worshipped. And then when he worshipped, he felt the love of God. In his words, he said, I felt all my self-driven performance expectations falling off of me. Suddenly it wasn't about me anymore. I don't care. If I make a mistake, I'll make a mistake. I made my focus one thing, to love Jesus and to love people. We love, the Bible says, because what? He first loved us. So I say worship the beauty and power of expressing affection and honor to the Lord. But what I have found in my walk with the Lord in my prayer life is I found that the worship helps me to pray. So when I worship, I pray. Even if I listen, to, like when I'm home and I listen to a, a recording or something. When I worship and I get caught up in it, suddenly the words of prayer just begin to come. And I find myself expressing beauty and honor to the Lord. But then also revelation comes, insight. So when we worship, insight, supernatural insight is not far away for your life or for someone else's. This is sort of a little trick I've learned, right? That's why you'll find that every time we do worship, you might, I'll come up here and I'll start giving words, right? Because I've learned to sort of serve worship that way. Because when God comes close, we should actually expect him to speak to us and through us. So it works the other way as well. When you feel the presence of the Lord, even if maybe you take some time out to come up to the front and there's worship going. That's why we let worship go on even when you come up to the front. Maybe especially when you come up to the front, at least in the beginning, and maybe uh, if, whether it's you know through the system or through here, because we can hear God's voice when we connect that way. It's a very very powerful way. So so there's a beauty to expressing affection and honor to the Lord. But many have experienced the Father's love with the revelation and the power that follows as well. It's a little trick I learned at the office, right? Actually, I learned it from Eddie Pure. God bless you, Eddie. <laughs> from that first day, I got whacked by the love of the Father in your living room. By the way, during worship, right, to now, I've never been the same. And I've just had repeated additions and multiplications of that process in my life, learn it from different vantage points. Now look at Roman numeral two. There are wonderful benefits when we worship and meditate on God. All right, so I'm going to just go through a few of these. This first one is in uh, Psalm uh, 27. And of course, David the, David the psalmist is the Old Testament uh, prophet and king. 
prophet in the sense that he understood things about God that to that date no one understood, even the prophets, the so-called prophets. He was unique. He was inaugurating the, he was prophesying actually the new David that would come later, the Jesus and his psalms and his worship were, that's why we still sing his psalms. He's an Old Testament man, but he actually had New Testament clothes on often, right? Quite remarkable. Just remember also, so he was also a scripture writer, right? Not many of the kings wrote scripture, but why did he write scripture? Because he worshiped so much, he also got words of revelation and he wrote them down. You see what I'm saying? How it works again. He, scripture came from his worship, uh, right? And, uh, and prophets we see in the Old Testament as well sometimes, as we're going to see in a moment, would take worship and then say, to, and, and then they got the, the word they needed, right? So verse, uh, 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 Psalm 27, verse 1 to 4. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, now, understand, he, he's not like speaking metaphorically. He literally had armies besieging him, <laughs> killing him, tracking him down. This is not like, he said when, not if. <laughs> he had happened several times in his life. So listen to how he responds. So if you got problems, I don't think anybody has an army besieging them. Sometimes it might feel like that, right? But though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Wow. I don't care what's happened in my life when all, all hell's breaking loose. In other words, I'm not afraid. The war break out against me. Even then will I be confident. Why? Well, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That's worship. He liked to gaze. He spent his time gazing at the Lord. His favorite place was in the temple. He invented worship in the temple. He was one of the inventors, the originators. From his time forward, there was worship, there was music as part of the temple service, right? But that worship had a benefit. It gave him tremendous courage. When the wicked advance against me, devour me, it's my enemy. They're going to fall. Though an army besiege me, I'm not going to be afraid, right? Verse 5, for in the day of trouble he'll keep me safe in his dwelling. He'll hide me in his shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. So, and you see this. He's hearing his voice. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, even though he's in this difficult time. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Now, he's in this temple situation, but David lived a, a rugged, horrible life. I mean, Wow. He was chased around, killed, betrayed over and over and over again. The only way he got through it was he found the worship. He found the music. He found God in that place. So he was a worshiping prophet, a worshiping warrior. He was a king. Let's just call kings in our terms. Let's say king, literally a politician, literally a leader of a company. Whatever you rule, right, you could call yourself a king. Matter of fact, some of us deal with resources that the the world uh, and the ancient world never would have imagined the possibilities of what people manage. Some of you in this very room, authority, power, great authority, do great things, travel far places, manipulate, do this, do that. God, there's a time of tremendous authority, but how to use that authority and to exercise in the earth is, comes right out of this worship place, this tender place. This is where David learned to rule over his enemies because he also 
was a gazer at the Lord. Again, verse 5, for in the day of trouble, when trouble comes, you know, God, I'm ready for it. He'll keep me safe in his dwelling. He'll hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. What do you mean, shelter in the tent? Well, he literally had a place where he would go and, and worship. How many know that a little tent or a little worship place is not going to do you any good when the uh, armies of Syria and Babylon, which were later to come, and other armies that he dealt with are coming after you? Like, okay, he finds his safety here. Now, obviously, he has to have an army to go out there, but he finds his real safety is here, proceeding to the army, not the other way around, right? That's what gave him the courage to fight. That's why he was God's worshiping warrior. That's why this guy that played the harp could also go face a nine-foot-six giant, throw a rock at him, and cut his head off. We have to emphasize worship with a capital W, but also David's no sissy. Worship warrior, warrior with a capital W, right? See the key there? Critical, critical. So when you come and worship here, there's war going on. Because the evil one hates this adoration of God. He even has tried to counterfeit it for centuries, years and years, especially this generation, with his own music, his own way. Because in heaven, worship and the adoration of worship is something we're going to do for an awfully long time. That's what the saints do, what the angels do. And evidently, there's something to it besides like holding a harp and having a little crown on your head. Evidently, it's the addictive, mighty presence of the ruler of the universe who is a worshiper himself that is in the midst, right? There are these two things, the ruling and the worship, the presence of God, and they go together. They almost seem like they shouldn't go together, but worship reveals the beauty and favor of the Lord. Worship causes the defeat of our enemies. For in the day of trouble, he'll keep me safe in his dwelling, right? My head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. While I'm, the, the next word is, at his sacred tent, I'm sacrificing with shouts of joy and singing and making music to the Lord, right? <laughs> He's doing both of those. And these, this is who we are. And he was actually foreshadowing what would happen with the New Testament people, right? And we see other stories. Um, matter of fact, 1 Samuel 16, uh, 23 uh, was, uh, I won't go to that one. I think I'll go on to the next one. I want to talk about King Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20, verses 18 to 23. Again, around this same subject, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face on the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem. This is Second Chronicles 20, verse 18. Fell down and worshipped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord and the God of Israel with a very loud voice. Now, what's the setting for this story? Well, basically, uh, they became aware that actually a massive army was coming to annihilate them. And they didn't have enough to deal with it. Matter of fact, they could have been, within days, they'd be slaves. And all the leaders would be dead, fathers would be dead, and the people carted away. So he bows his face to the ground because a prophet says you will not have to fight this battle take up your position stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you right go out and face them so early in the morning they leave for the desert of Jacoa as they set out Jehoshaphat uh, stood and said listen to me Judah and people of Jerusalem 
Have faith in the Lord your God, and you'll be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you'll be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. I'm wondering just how many people felt confident in that or were happy about that. You know, I mean, okay, great, we got them out there, but I don't think they had any idea what was to come next. But this is what they did. He puts this worship right out ahead, just like David did. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it, was t- it took three days to collect. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barakah, which, by the way, means praise, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then, led by, by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice with their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpeters. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. How did he get rest? How did the battle win? He worshipped before, didn't even have to engage in much battle, went down and picked up the spoil, and what they began to name the Valley of Praise, the Barakah, and then he goes home and has a party and worships some more. <laughs> wow! Okay, that's fairly dramatic, right? But we see it in other stories all through the Bible. One of my favorites is Paul and Silas in jail for witnessing and preaching. Now this is bringing it into the New Testament. Preaching the gospel in jail, chained to the floor, right? And had been beaten as well. So uh, they're bloody, but they're singing. Wow. About midnight, Paul and Silas were singing, praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself. Paul said, no, wait, don't harm yourself. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He gets saved, basically. (laughs) And the whole thing turns around. When the magistrates come for them, he says, look, you guys threw us in jail and you shouldn't have done it, right? Because we're Roman citizens. And he turns the whole thing what was a horrible situation actually turns completely around simply out of this place where they took the battle to another place. What is that place? They were worshiping. They were dealing with the demons that were causing the problem. When you worship, you cause demons to shudder. When you worship with a bunch of other people, you do the same. You don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. You get to lose a few demons along the way, too. It's awesome, right? If you have eyes to see and ears to hear and follow up on it, even when you're worshiping, you can pray. You can say, command things, loose things. You feel the environment. It's an environment to intercede. It's an environment to pray, right? And of course, I've told you many times, which I won't tell again today. I've just told it so many times. But this works in the 21st century, the 20th century. It works any century. 
And my brother Sir Paul, who was thrown into jail, he wasn't named Paul, he was named Sue Paul. And the way he got out of a Cambodian dungeon is he began to worship God in that Cambodian dungeon. As he began to worship the other people around him, generals and every other political prisoner in the jail began to worship. And as they began to worship God, the heavens opened. He saw heaven and he, and he heard this song being sung by the angels. He could see them up there. They were singing, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. And before he knew it, uh, he began to sing it. And they're singing it in Khmer. He told me it's a Khmer song, not an English song. And because uh, I, I asked him, what were, the, what were the angels singing in English or Khmer? He said, Khmer, absolutely. They're all singing. Of course, that's a Khmer song, I've Got a River of Light. So they were all singing. I've told you this story before, you know, all singing it. And that worship that happened caused dozens and dozens of political prisoners to get saved in that jail and ultimately got him out of jail through a wonderful, beautiful story. It broke the stranglehold, the stronghold, right? Yeah, do it again. Yes, and everybody else is in prison. Worship prepares the way for us to petition God for what we need. That's a critical thing. So we see this in Psalm 27. This is point C on your outline. Again, Psalm 27, written by who? David, right? One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He's putting these two things together, right? And at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, what do we say? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's worship, right? It's the entrance. It's the way we go in. And so you can prolong that. Sometimes I have to prolong the entrance long enough to get my ability up to, 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 to uh, pray. But here's a key that I've found. When I feel love, I can pray. Worship helps me feel love. Then I can pray. And sometimes I can hear God's voice. I pray effectively. The beauty and power of expressing affection and honor to the Lord is actually a provision for us to encounter God. Worship comforts us when we, feel, uh, when we have failed to feel distant from God. David did that after the death of his child. Remember, he went in, he, he, after his child went in, and, and he worshiped. Why did he go in and worship? Because only the presence of God in that worship, when he went to worship, could calm him, calm his spirit. Because the child died because of his own failure and his own sin. But God so graciously received him. He went back and he worshiped and honored the Lord, right? Worship helps us hear God's voice and direction for our lives, right? And we, we see in Acts chapter 13, when they were actually being uh, the very first apostolic band, if I'm I'm not mistaken here, is this sending off of Paul and Barnabas. Guess what they were doing? They were worshiping and praying. And then a prophetic voice said, send out Paul and Barnabas to the mission that I've called them. That's why we're all sitting here. <laughs> they came out of a worship meeting. They were worshiping. God's prophetic voice came. And Paul did the unthinkable. He began to preach the gospel outside of the Jews to the Gentiles, which most of us are here in this room. And that Gentile church has been flourishing ever since. There's another interesting one I found the other day. I was reading through, and I, I thought this, because the prophets so well knew this principle, of course, in Second um, King, uh, uh, Kings chapter 3, verse 14. Elisha said, Surely as the Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you, but now bring me a harpist. So they wanted a word from Elisha about what to do, right? 
the king of Israel and the king of Judah were there, and they wanted a word. So Jehoshaphat's there, the king of Israel's there. He says, well, I, I care about Jehoshaphat, so look what he says now. Bring me a harpist. Weird. Okay, bring me a harpist. <laughs> While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha and said, this is what the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water, for this is what the Lord says. And then he goes on and on and he says, you know what? You're going to overthrow every fortified city. You're going to, you're going to win. You're, going to, you're both going to win the battle. Could you come get my phone? It's driving me crazy. <laughs> it's either someone that really wants to get a hold of me or a bunch of football scores. I don't know what. <laughs> Go Rams. Okay. So it's interesting. Okay. You king, you king. Give me a harpist. What? I need a word. Just give me a harpist. They start playing, blah, 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 then the word comes. Are you getting it? This is pretty powerful stuff here. Worship, the beauty and power of expressing affection and honor to the Lord. Put it in your terms. Do I invest in that stock or do I don't? Do I go to that city and town or do I not? Do I take that treatment or do I not? Do I take that job? Do I not? I, does anybody need to hear God's voice in here? Okay. So I'm just telling you. Be very affectionate. Worship. Listen. God's hands on you. In that space, you'll hear things. You'll, you'll do things. You, there's something supernatural. God inhabits the praises of his people. It takes you from one place to another place. You begin to listen better because your spirit's open, right, and ready. This is how I, I solve all kinds of problems. I always use this pattern all the time because worship's directly uh, connected with the presence of God. It's, it's directly connected to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Right down near the bottom here, almost done. Psalm 100, verses 1 to 4. Shout for the Lord, joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Then he says this. If you want to come into the Lord's presence, you want to know what God thinks. This is Okay, so we got a picture of an Old Testament picture of the temple where God lived, right? So he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So you enter into the presence of God through thanksgiving and praise. That's how you do that. That's how you hear God's voice. It's, it's so powerful. You can even put on CDs or do whatever you like. It's just the spirit of worship that we're after, right? Ephesians 5, 17 to 20. Again, we see the, the same uh, concepts. And also, uh, I'm going to try to get to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, and we'll, we'll bring this to a close here. All right? So, Ephesians 5, 17 to 20. All right. Therefore, do not foolish, be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine. That's not going to lead you to a good place, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't do this stuff. Don't take the world's stuff to get filled. Do what? Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That's what we do when we gather here together. We speak to one another with psalms, hymns, Songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, 
always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Get that? Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but the good. Now, here's the two. Be filled with the Spirit, and the next line, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So the way to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to do that, right? That's why there's something different when you're just a few people worshiping and in an audience and in a place like this. This isn't just coming to pay homage to the Lord. It's a place to receive the Lord. It's a place to receive His presence. Philippians chapter 4, For I rejoice, Lord, always. I'll say again, rejoice. And then when you read Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 8, then it says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. By the way, those are related. I, f I calm down. I get kinder, gentler when I return my attention to God. Do not be anxious. My anxiety disappears. But in every petition, situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So before we pray, we worship. But make sure you present your request because you're in the audience of the king. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All that starts with rejoice, Lord, always. I'll say it again, rejoice. You somehow get the Lord's attention. That's how the prophets got the Lord's attention. I don't know other than God, he inhabits his praises. Some, I just do worship, take a break from my problems, and I find in it also I hear his voice and his peace, and it's guarding me somehow. You can surf this stuff. Some of you are in lots of trouble. Some of you are just really anxious all the time. You can use worship and honoring the Lord and taking time to worship the Lord, whether it's with a CD or with a, however you do it. But be in that space. That's why you as the individual temple, that's why that stuff that I said earlier is so important. You're the temple of God individually, and corporately we are the temple of God, right? So your temple individually can worship God in the privacy of your own home, or you can do it with all the saints together. And I'll tell you what, I remember that gathering in uh, Pasadena. I haven't been to one since, but 65,000 people scream at the top of their lungs. It was a little bit more inspirational. First of all, think about this for a moment. Demons and how they track us and hunt us and try to mess us up, right? Do you think the demons want to come near 65,000 worshiping people with all the angels that are assigned to all of those people? I don't think they want to be around two or three like that because where two or three gather together, there I am in their midst. It makes sense, doesn't it? So this is like a simple housekeeping. Turns out you actually need your brother and sister because it's like fuel for the fire. We all come and make... You know, we can make a little fire, but if we get together like this, we can form a pretty big fire, right? All the little pieces going in there. And that's exactly what we're talking about here, right? And uh, I want to just read this last one. Uh, uh, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. Let's all stand. <clears throat> if I could have the worship team come, <laughs> that's why we do that. Because we're going to pray for some people today, right? And I'd like the ministry team to come up as well. Just uh, And so for you that are newer to us, we have a ministry team, meaning people that just come and pray for people. But we do the worship as well. We try not to do it too loud so we can hear each other. Because, again, it's the principle of the Spirit being stirred. And then we intercede, right? So here it is in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Get that? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. 
So we rejoice, we pray, we give thanks. So we don't quench the Spirit. But when the Spirit is active, He begins to do things, right? Gracious Jesus, thank you for your presence. So there's this one-two punch that's going to happen today. It can happen in your seat. It can happen with these humble people that are up in the front. I'll be up at the front here today. Anybody that would like to come and help us to pray that's been on our teams. So we're just going to worship, but then we're going to pray for you very specifically, right? And I want to invite all of you people who are newer to us to come to my class if you're brand new, especially so you can get to know me. But I want to talk more in depth about these things because our church really emphasizes some things that... Um, Maybe you knew, but you forgot. Maybe you never knew about the ways of God. And understanding the ways of God is one way to actually get healed, get delivered, get answered prayer, right? These things are things that uh, are very powerful. And I just add this one thing before we stop and continue on worship. Listen, if you think two or three gather together in Jesus' name is something, what happens when a bunch of people are together in Jesus' name, right? So the air is clear over this place. So why wouldn't we pray for each other and even get words for one another? If you ever were to get one, it would be here, right? It would be now. Because the people are here. We cleared the atmosphere already. We've been rejoicing, worshiping, singing, right? Lord, I pray today to release significant power and grace to us today. As me and some of our other brothers are up here and sisters just praying for one another. We're doing the worship. You can just do it from your seat. Have someone pray for you, husband or wife, while you're in your seat. You can just take advantage of this before you go get your kids. Just have someone pray for you that's sitting next to you. Right? You can do it up here. You can do whatever. But whenever you have prayer that needs to be answered, learn to surf the worship Find the love and move into the supernatural. In Jesus' mighty name. Father, would you come and do that now? As we worship, we pray, God, that you would just do miracles today. I want miracles today. It's great signs and wonders. People leaving here are not sick, not worried. Even we pray for jobs today. I pray they would come the very week that we pray. I pray the great power of Jesus would be on this place. 